Welcome to Cancre, home of Canada's queer media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. And a uh, bit of a slow week from us this week. We are still oh working God. on uh, various uh, interviews. This is how slow it is. Do you know how slow it is? I'm going to start by talking about the weather. We are having really weird weather today in Ottawa. Currently, it's sunny out. 20 minutes ago, it was raining. And earlier, I saw a video that it was hailing on the outskirts of Ottawa. It's uh, This would be tornado weather, except this is not tornado time of year. Hmm. Yeah, the weather is all over the place. It's definitely having a bit of a moment. But mostly, I'm just glad that the weird fake spring that we had, not fake spring, fake, yeah, fake spring. This is, this happens every year. Every year this happens, right? Where you have, uh, it, it goes up to like 20, 25 degrees. It's like that for a week, usually in uh, April, March. And then the next week, there's snow on the ground again. And everyone is shocked, even mm-hmm. though we're in Canada and a fake spring happens every year. And during that fake spring, people put away their coats and their, their slip proof boots and their scarves. And then when the snow comes down again, they're shocked and they don't know where to find their boots because they put it away. You, you say that. I, I also, in <laughs> mid-April, put away my boots and my scarf and my <laughs> coat and, and all the rest of it. I mean, as it happens, we're, we're recording out of Ontario in yet another lockdown. Yeah. So I have no occasion to leave the house at the moment. Um, so I haven't had to go looking for things. But my, uh, my brother's I mean, did you do place gardening? Got... Because that's the thing. I, you know, it took every bone in my body not to do gardening. Like I, <laughs> I was like, it was twenty degrees. It was sunny. I was, we were in a new house. I was looking at this lovely patch of ground mm. that would be amazing for some dahlias or some petunias or something. And uh, and I was thinking, oh, I should just go buy some and plant them. But uh, my my partner's boss boss said, uh, don't plant anything before the May two four weekend. Right, thinking, exactly. That's, that's so far away. That's unreasonably also, far away. You don't have any ground in your backyard. <laughs> yes, we do. We have a little bit around the edge. It's it's fine. You know, for my listeners' sake, there's uh, there's master turf in my garden that came with the house. But yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I was definitely lulled into a false sense of of gardening. Mm. Right. Well. Um, Something that came out this week is the Hamilton Police Service released their report Mm -hmm. that said that there were eight hate crimes, such as assault, Mm -hmm. and 72 hate incidents, with the vast majority of them targeting Black folks, followed by Jewish and then LGBT people. Mm -hmm. Of the 44 involving a uh, racial bias, 31 involved religion, and then, uh, sorry, 44 involved racial bias, then 31 for religion, two for sexual orientation, and three towards gender identity. Mm. Uh, You know, the Hamilton police do go forward and say, look, you know, not everyone is reporting these crimes. Um, But what's really jumped out to me is that even though we've talked about the LGBT community in Hamilton and, and the sort of strange relationship with the police, maybe that's why they're not reporting hate crimes. But what is really concerning is the massive number of, you know, racist uh, assaults and hate incidents against black folks in in, in Hamilton. Like that, mm. that number is way above uh, what you would expect. Well, the Hamilton area has Canada's second old 
oldest black community. And I don't mean like population of historical black people. I mean like a community was built there and you know they they they've been there for maybe I think about 120 years depends on how you calculate things. But yeah the 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 north end of Hamilton definitely has a, a long history of having a black community. They're they're associated with the mustard mills, which is why the Hamilton uh, jazz fest is all about mustard, soft pretzels, sausages, and jazz. Um, because little known fact, when when jazz was start started booting up in like the 30s and 40s, maybe even as far back as the 1920s, depending on what you consider jazz, um, the black community in Hamilton was always a part of it. Like they have a long history with that. So there's this weird relationship there. So I mean, I I could see that. I don't know the 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 interface between the black community and the surrounding communities. Uh, there's also like, you know, uh, black Canadians versus like recent Afro-Caribbean and African uh, immigrants sometimes butt up against each other because they have different values. You can't just mm -hmm. say all black people are the same, just like all white people are the same, you know, like as if Serbo-Croats Serbo all of a sudden are fine with Serbians and Croatians getting along with each other. There's a history. So this is not to excuse it. This is just describing the context. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, I'm, it just it jumped out to it. me because we've been following Hamilton as a sort of a, a case study for the rest of uh, the country and yeah. their relationship between the police and the LGBT community. And it's, you know, it just, it is quite uh, glaring when you look at the scale and scope, you yeah. know, where there's 33, you know, between 30 and 40 attacks on, on black folks, mm -hmm. there's maybe one on somebody who identifies as, as gay or gender non-conforming. That's, that's reported. And that's the other thing. The, the, uh, like back when I used to work uh, with the police, I had occasion to speak to all sorts of community leaders. And something that I learned from speaking with rabbis is that uh, the Jewish community strongly encourages their members to report hate incidents. And there is this very strong pro-reporting bias that they have. So their numbers tend to be pretty close to accurate. Uh, so we can always sort of take, uh, you know, anti-Semitic hate crimes and hate incidents as sort of a barometer in general of society because they do have this strong emphasis on uh, reporting. And whether or not anything comes of it, they sort of view that as a separate issue from reporting, that the least you can do is fill up the paperwork. Um, and there, there's something to be said for that, but uh, there's also the issue that Hamilton has uh, pretty firm sunshine laws. Like Hamilton kind of has the same issue of Florida. So Florida has a reputation for like, you know, Florida man and weird incidents happening there. And really it's just that in Florida, I've read articles about this. I've listened to all sorts of interviews. It's really fascinating that the journalists in Florida are encouraged to publish everything. And if it's not going to make it into the newspaper on the online site, they'll have some weird back page thing. So everything makes it into the media in Florida eventually. And that's basically the weird incidents you see in Florida. No more common to see weird things in Florida than anywhere else in America. You're just more likely to hear about it. Mm -hmm. Same thing with Hamilton. Hamilton has the exact same sunshine laws and the pro-journalism and pro-reporting. So everything you hear of from Hamilton is probably going to be most of it. Uh, I think that's why we keep coming back to Hamilton because people write things down and we read it because it's been written down. I'm pretty sure everything happening in Hamilton is also happening in, let's say, Moose Jaw or Winnipeg or Fredericton. Uh, it's just we hear about it more. 
That's got more to do with the media than it has to do with the community. But still, I don't know. Like it, it's, it is peculiar that the the rates have been going up. Um, I would I would wish that the community that the LGBT community would report more, but I also understand there is that history. So I don't know. It, it's complicated. Well, um, one of them, Pat Mandy, who was a member of the police services board, told the CBC, oh, it was reported um, in the CBC mm. that uh, had raised the, pointed out that there were no cases of hate crimes or incidents towards Indigenous people reported by the Hamilton Police Service. Oh. So to imply that there have never been any hate crimes or hate incidences towards Indigenous people in Hamilton is frankly ridiculous. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, no. I, I, are they implying that there's been none recent or none ever? Or n- none within the context of this report. Okay, okay. And uh, she goes on to say, I don't anticipate there will ever be a lot of reports within that community um, because people just don't report. They're not reporting to the police that these incidents mm-hmm. are taking place. Uh, that trust isn't there. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking on the importance of trust, I want to switch gears a little bit to a Swedish story Oh, that yes. came out um, earlier this week. Um, a 56-year-old man who was uh, worked with asylum seekers with Sweden's largest LGBT organization, the RFSL. RFSL. Um, he helped asi- migrants obtain asylum status on the grounds of sexual orientation. Now, th- this kind of work happens here in Canada. It happens... Mm-hmm. Uh, all over the country, yep. um, lots of organizations help to support asylum seekers, the most vulnerable people in, in the world, you know, mm-hmm. those fleeing persecution. Um, he was recently found guilty by the Stockholm District Court and sentenced to four years uh, in prison for, uh, he was convicted of uh, raping four of the migrants during his work. The Swedish police have opened investigations into another potential six victims um, as a result of this. The reason why I bring this up is it took a long time for the case to even come forward. Yeah. You know, these folks were so unbelievably vulnerable that they couldn't report it to RFL, uh, RFSL higher ups, yep. couldn't report it to the police because they were undocumented or mm-hmm. is still in the process of putting in their asylum applications. Like, you know, their lives really rested in the hands of this one man. Yeah, even if they they were there under sort of legitimate Swedish processing, you really don't want to rock the boat. You know, you want things to go as smoothly as possible. And it's such a tragedy because, like, on the one hand, I would want for people to to report incidents like this. But on the other hand, you don't want to rock the boat. You want everything to appear as normal as possible when you're when you're going through asylum when you're applying for status and i i mean this this man really took advantage of that that context although it is very peculiar i always think i i file this into the the cabinet of what did you think was going to happen because eventually they were going to get status and then their lives would settle down and then who who knows what's going to happen five to ten years later when they feel comfortable reporting it so I, I don't know. So the organization said that they launched an initial probe, but it 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 come out as insufficient. There was just mm. ins- insufficient information, insufficient evidence 
um, because almost nobody was willing to come forward. No one was mm. willing to give details. No one was willing to talk about it. He was able to create this culture of silence amongst the most vulnerable who had the most to lose. Mm. Um, and I think it's you know shocking and, and very disheartening. The organization, the RFSL, um, has you know congratulated this this finding this conviction. Um, as soon as a couple more cases came forward, they immediately dismissed him. And uh, what followed that was the, the the criminal trial. But I I th- I think what this does is it shows that LGBT organisations are above and beyond reproach. You know, there are folks who prey on the gay community. But there are also those within the gay community who, who take advantage. And this is maybe the most egregious case of that. Yeah, this is something that um, you and I have both brought up independently and also together to various activists, uh, often off air, because it's a very difficult conversation to have. That when you look at, on the one hand, you've got the hate crime data, but on the other hand, you've got like uh, the domestic assault data or the Uh, you know, hate crimes within the community issues, you know. Um, And it really does seem that uh, overall people in the community are about as likely to be victimized by other people within the community, which is normal crime data. People, if you're going to rob from someone or assault someone or or sexually assault someone, it's going to be somebody you know and people are more likely to know other people who are similar to themselves. Um, so on the one hand, that's just normal crime patterns, but that doesn't mean we can just be like, well, I guess that's how humanity works. We're not really, you, you don't see a lot of campaigns about that within the community, about supporting each other and, and, and reporting violence and abuse and exploitation when you see it. And well, I, to a degree, I wonder why that is. I think there's definitely a lot for us to think about there. I think a lot of it has to do with, like I said, that sort of cultural silence that that exists. We'll uh, think more on it. We'll be jumping to the United States just after our next song. This is Hands From My Body by Maria Stokes. Um, And uh, we'll be back just after this. Come on over, baby. I bring a bottle of wine. Smoke a little Mary Jane. Start the night right. I got vinyl on the shelf I've been dying to play I'm turning off my phone I want to do the same Hands on my body 
pressure on uh, large companies that are centered in for example Georgia to Georgia the, the state of Georgia not the not the state not the you know the nation state of Georgia yeah. but the US state of Georgia the um, Caucasian state not the, the American state not the Caucasian state <laughs> I was about to say that doesn't matter we're down there Seb, but uh, well the Caucasians yeah. are from the Caucasus yeah Yes, the USA state of Georgia. <laughs> yes. Um, and the pressure on companies like Delta Airlines to respond to the fact that Republican uh, Republican uh, legislators within the states are targeting uh, or creating bills that make voting so much more difficult, disproportionately for Black folks. Mm. You, you must have been aware of this that, that came up. Um, then there's been pressure on organizations like Home Depot, which calls Georgia homes. But don't worry. Ben Shapiro bought a $4 piece of wood. Has now yeah. Home Depot. That yeah. whole thing. I did see that. And from what I understood, uh, people were asking Home Depot to, to pressure people and Home Depot, their official response, which by the way, was nothing anyone should particular, particularly support was uh, we sell lumber. Like, we are not in the political game. We don't know. Like, how many times of the past 10 years have you seen a major corporation try to imply themselves into the political world and just get a total misfire? And it's, home- it's complete and utter hypocrisy. And I think that's what, what the issue is now. Mm. You know, for example, the Georgia Coalition of Black Churches called out Home Depot and were like, no, we're going to boycott you and all of our congregants are going to buy their lumber somewhere else. And that's why Ben Shapiro went and bought four dollar four dollar piece of wood. Yeah, but because it's not as if these acts and these bills happen without Home Depot doing anything. They're mm. behind closed doors in all of these acts and these bills. They're giving money to Republicans running for office. You know, the, the, there's a lot that goes on behind the doors. And then when the public is like, "Hey, Home Depot," they're like, "Oh no, we don't do nothing. We're not. We're apolitical. It's not us. Look away." And it's absolute horse manure. It, mm. it 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 doesn't it doesn't fly anymore. 
But we're not talking about Georgia. I want to talk about Texas. Okay. Now, you are a big fan of Borderlands. I'm a huge fan. It's one of my favorite games, yeah. I, uh, I have now been playing Borderlands with, with my partner. We've got uh, a second uh, TV setup upstairs to, to, to play. Um, and you must recognize the, the Gearbox intro, uh, the sort of software developer behind the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the software, the, the director of institutional partnerships at Borderlands, David Najab, in his testimony to the Texas House of Representatives, said that Bill 29 could force the studio to move elsewhere. Hmm. So Bill 29 uh, is a U.S. bill. It's the Fair Sports for Women and Girls Act. Um, and essentially it means that in order to play tennis, you need to produce your birth certificate uh, to be assigned the appropriate team, which is absolutely preposterous. For the tennis. idea of, for tennis or okay. for badminton or for lacrosse, doesn't even matter what it is. If it's a sport, you need to have your documented birth certificate available on hand or else. Right. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. He goes on to say, our game company is in competition worldwide. Mm -hmm. We export we export more than we sell more to Asia than we do in the United States. We bring a lot of money into this state. We're mm -hmm. headquartered here. Don't drive us to where we have to start expanding outside of Texas and outside of the country. Uh, essentially saying we're concerned to see the resurgence of efforts to exclude transgender youth from full participation in their communities to criminalize or ban best practice medical care that is proven to save lives, or to exclude LGBTQ people in a variety of other settings, including accessing healthcare, filling a prescription, seeking legal representation. So that those, those last comments were in part of a public letter that was signed on to by Gearbox, as well as Amazon, Microsoft, Dell, and IBM. Essentially, hmm. they're saying to Texas, look, you're making it nigh on impossible to effectively recruit software engineers within the state of Texas, because people take one look at Texas and the fact that you need a birth certificate to play netball and go, no, thank you. I'd rather go to California work for Facebook where I can play tennis without having to provide government issued ID. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it, it means that they can't compete in that state because this state is one of 33 imposing these ridiculous restrictions on mm. trans folks. Well, I mean, first of all, that the thing about expansion is hogwash. Um, uh, the uh, Borderlands pre-sequel game was made in Australia because they already have a branch there. And another one of their games that they made that horrible Duke Nukem remake, and that was made in Gearbox Montreal. Um, but I mean, apart from that, but all the money goes back to the headquarters in Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it, it, all the money goes into Texas, and that's yeah. what Gearbox is saying. Look, yeah, you know, the folks that we hire here, they don't want to work here. Can you, if you were given the option between Melbourne, Montreal, or Texas? Where would you go? I mean, I would pick Melbourne or Montreal over Texas uh, for the weather anyway, <laughs> um, because Melbourne is actually pretty mild in the grand scheme of Australia, which generally speaking is like you're living inside of an oven. Uh, but uh, Melbourne is a little bit more mild. Uh, but yeah, it, I mean, for a bunch of reasons. 
And we pivoted from Georgia to Texas, but both of them have something very in common, which is that they're both states that are famous for overall being conservative, but of having metropolitan centers that are some of the most progressive places in the United States. So Atlanta, but, Georgia, but the and- the state legislature is adamantly- I know, like, I know, and that's, that's the yeah. thing. So uh, um, going back to, to Georgia, there are companies in Atlanta that have said, we don't care what the legislator is, we're going to extend our, uh, our employee benefits or whatever to everyone regardless of what the law says, and they're going to support all of their employees regardless. And same thing with, uh, uh, is it Houston? Houston and what's the other major city in Texas? Dallas. Dallas, that's it. Okay. So there are people in Texas who are very similar, that the, the metropolitan centers of Texas are incredibly progressive, and they're not going to care. They're going to say, we organize, we have our own gym, uh, whatever dressing room you want, that's fine. Like, they're, they're going to have their own in-house rules, but that does, that's only at work. And yeah, work is one third of your day during the week, but like, that's still not enough to build your life around. So I, I could see them, maybe. Not only that, but are they a company that actually pays their taxes? Because, like, famously, you know, Amazon. But it's it's not just Gearbox. I think Gearbox is the one example I've zoomed in on. It, it's yeah. all of these companies, and they yeah. all are paying not only their taxes, yeah. but also the political donations to the campaigns of the Republicans. Mm. You know, there's a lot of money. There was a uh, young woman called Amber Briggle, who earlier in the week was speaking at the Texas State Affairs Committee, where she had to say that she was afraid, and I quote here, afraid that by speaking here today, my words will be used against me. And my sweet son, who I love more than life itself, will be taken away from me. Texas is proposing a law where supporting a child's access to health care will have the parents declared child abusers. Hmm. So this woman speaking in the committee against this act because she, with her other co-parent and others in the family, support the child's decision making in this process, could lose custody of said child just for providing health care. She goes on to say that she has a million things better to do than to, than to debate private medical care with politicians. I mean, it's absolutely barbaric. And that's the crazy thing. It is all private in the States. Like the whole point of, of having everything private in the States, or at least this is according to their own arguments, is that people get to make their own choices. And then now you're going to regulate the market. If you're going to regulate the market, have you know state-run Medicare. And if you're going to have it private, you know, shut up and step off. So the last one I want to speak to on this refers to the sort of one of the heirs of the Hyatt Hotels. Um, and I'm referring to Jennifer Pritzker, who is a retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel. And she has a personal net worth of over $2 billion, according to the Star Observer. Now, she has said uh, in the state of Tennessee um, that if Tennessee doesn't get its bill, its act together, where there are now currently at least 15 pieces of legislation, all aimed at curbing or reducing access and rights for LGBT folks. Uh, they've already signed into uh, law a ban from trans youth competing in school sports, and that was done earlier this year. 
So Jennifer has essentially said, look, if you don't stop attacking trans folks, who is one of me, she is one of the, you know, one of the only trans billionaires in the world, and she is in Tennessee. She's like, she's like, I will move. I will move me and my $2 billion to a state which isn't actively trying to persecute me. And I think that's what is trying to come across here. The Nashville Chamber of Commerce wrote to the House uh, Republican Party in, in Tennessee saying that this action, these 15 bills that only seem, that are only targeting LGBT folks in the state of Tennessee is actively harming the state's economy. Like they are, they are crippling the economy through their sort of social crusade against young people. We're talking teenagers who wanna play netball. What damage or harm are they doing that is worth all of this time and energy? It is, it is mind boggling. Especially if it's just like high school intramural sports, you know, like there isn't even this is not the the FIFA, you know, women's FIFA debate. There, there are not hundreds of millions of dollars on the table. We are talking about some teenagers playing volleyball after school uh, to hang out with their friends. Like this is a completely and totally different game. This is this is hobby sports. This is people who are in it for camaraderie and self-development and, and uh, you know, childhood competition and self-improvement and all that good stuff. Like it's, I don't, there, there's no reason to interfere with that. You know, actually there, there are a lot of um, uh, mixed gender high school sports for that very reason, because I mean, you see that mostly with racket sports, you know, your, your tennises and your, your, uh, the one with the bird, what's that one called? Uh, uh, the the bird one with the little racket. Badminton, that's it. Um, because usually they're just you know playing for fun. They're, they're there to hang out with other people who care about racket sports. You know, it's there's no reason whatsoever to interfere with this at all. I, I don't I don't understand any of that. But it's. I mean, I could see from the state's point of view, if you want to be super cynical about it, this is sort of like, you know, Occupy Wall Street one percenter kind of dialogue. Um, there comes to a point of wealth where you just don't really pay your taxes because you can just stick it into shelters. So would threatening to leave their state affect anything? Because do you actually pay your tax? You're saying that, but this is two billion dollars worth. You know, even if they're paying minimal tax, you know, less yeah. than ten percent, that is a lot of money every month. And it's not just this one woman and her two billions. Mm. It is the cumulative effect of all of these companies and startups and people looking at that that state, going, "Do I want to move there with my potentially trans son?" Yeah, it's it's just it's not an environment. You know, when you're making your state actively hostile to people how mm. is that good for business how mm. is that good for business you're going to have a few uh questionable companies that may move there on purpose because of that the ben shapiro's who will show up and buy four dollars of well of i was lumber. thinking more like chick-fil-a um mm -hmm. but yeah like you're, you're going to get companies like that who move in but <sighs> I mean, I do know that, like, I, I've looked at some of the, the numbers before, and multiple reports have come out over decades. It comes up again and again. The sum total of all small and medium businesses 
creates a much larger tax base than the biggest ones because the small and medium ones actually pay their taxes and they don't have access to all the loopholes. Those are the ones that you want to keep. And those are the ones that are most likely to be grassroots based in the community and more comfortable moving. There are plenty of small and medium companies that just up and move state. It is much less of a hassle for them to pull up their roots and move. And people do all the time. So I know that in the, um, like a lot of people are leaving New York right now and they're moving into, you know, New Jersey and New Hampshire and all the other sort of New England states because New York's been going in a weird direction over COVID lockdown. Uh, a lot of it has to do with the fact that like, you know, Manhattan is an island and it basically has to import everything. It's as hard to get cigarettes onto Manhattan as it is to get cigarettes into Hawaii sometimes just because of logistics. Um, and no problem whatsoever. Small and medium companies are leaving Manhattan just in droves because it's easy for them. So, and they're the ones, again, they're the ones who pay their taxes and they have less access to the loopholes. And that's, those are the people that places like Tennessee and Texas and Georgia and all these other places, I think Alabama's on the list as well. They have weird laws on their books. They're going to be the ones who suffer from that sort of thing the most. And that adds up very quickly when you get all these small and medium companies um, who do have the ability to just pivot out of state, no problem. And they do frequently. Well, let's, let's turn topic now to potentially good news. Okay. We have spoken at length in the past about the uh, atrocious uh, stain on humanity that is the Chechen gay purge. Yes. Um, there's a great uh, documentary, I think, on, on Prime Video about, um, about the gay purge in Chechnya. Mm. And essentially, folks are being rounded up, uh, accused of being homosexuals, beaten and abused until they named five of their homosexual friends, um, which is all under duress, under torture. Families snapped up at night. They're not even necessarily looking for five names of, of homosexuals. They're looking for five names. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is truly harrowing. Yeah. Well, in Germany, they have the principle of universal jurisdiction. And the idea being is that Germany doesn't want to be party to allowing war criminals to maraud around um, in, in Hanover or, or Berlin, uh, minding their own business, because Germany just doesn't want war criminals marauding around free and, free and uh, easy, which is a principle I can get behind. Uh, in Germany, they use the, uh, this, this universal principle to uh, go after Bashar al-Assad's um, regime in Syria. So they prosecuted some of his regime for crimes against humanity. Essentially, where no other court is able to, to uh, step in, um, they will step in so that there's no safe haven for war criminals. The Russia is not party to the International Criminal Court. So the International Criminal Court has no jurisdiction. So there's not really much that they can do. But the European Center for Constitutional Human Rights, as well as the Russian LGBT network, have filed a uh, charges or, or filed uh, a case with the uh, with the, with the Germans to to charge these Chechen leaders with carrying out this purge. Um, there's five of them in this legal case that have been named, um, all of them who are allied to the leader of, of Chechnya, um, Ramzan Kidyrov. Uh, 
but yeah, it's it's quite shocking. If any, you know, at the very least, what it does is there's 97 charges, by the way. No, sorry, there's 97 pages of charges filed against these five men. Um, and as the German court investigates these 97 pages of charges, um, if they conclude that these things did happen starting in 2017, uh, which, by the way, these charges include the prosecution, unlawful arrest, torture, sexual violence, incitement to murder of at least 150 people since 2017. Like, this is no small fry. Um, at the very, very least, if these go forward and they're found to have been guilty of these things, then all of the asylum seekers who are looking for asylum in Germany will be able to show that this is a proven thing that's happened. This is, it, it sort of opens up the door to Europe for these asylum seekers looking to flee Chechnya. It also means that these Chechnyan autocrats who are in the top of the government, we're talking about the deputy prime minister and bodyguard, of the, the prime minister, the head of the parliament here, and the one of the guys in charge of Russian internal affairs in Chechnya. Chechnya, by the way, is a sort of semi-autonomous state within Russia. Um, Russia claims nothing to see here, nothing to see here, because the Chechen authorities have tried uh, unconvincingly to let everyone know that there are no homosexuals in Chechnya. So these 150 odd people that they've beaten up, battered, and uh, you know, um, forced into confessions um, uh, are not homosexuals. So they can't be guilty of anything because they don't exist. Um, but, but it also means that these individuals who have been known to go to Germany for medical care, for vacations, what have you, uh, will mean that they'll, they'll be arrested on the spot if they came back to Germany. And it's likely that a Europol uh, warrant will be issued for them as well. So it does mean that these leaders who are behind one of the worst humanitarian crises against LGBT folks will be held accountable, at least within the EU, um, you know, which is probably about as much as we could ever hope for. Yeah, 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 yeah. And at first when... when... Uh, before that we started recording and you mentioned this tweaks i i'd heard bits and pieces about this and i didn't fully understand and at first it looked like uh you know the 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 berlin police had the right to arrest the leader of another country which is weird but it's weird because it's actually that's not what's happening it's just basically like if this goes through they're, they're going to be denied visas basically for the rest of their life into into europe and if they do cross over into europe anyway then well, I mean, we do this already. There's certain war criminals and, and serial killers and all sorts of people who are not allowed into Canada because they've been branded internationally wanted for some reason or another. You know, if El Chapo shows up in Canada, he's going to get arrested just by merit of being El Chapo. It's the exact same thing. So then I was like, oh, this is not weird. This is completely appropriate. I hope Canada does the same thing. So, but actually, no, if this is international court, we're part of that too, aren't we? No, it's not the International Criminal Court. It oh, is it'll... a German court right, applying okay. the principle of universal jurisdiction. So essentially, if another country is either enabled or incapable or, or corrupt and not able to, to institute the prosecutions, and the International Criminal Court holds no jurisdiction because Russia is not party of it, um, then you can take the case to, to, to the German courts. So yeah, I mean, it's three of these individuals that are being put forward on charges 
um, have already been heavily sanctioned by the US, the UK, um, most of the EU. Assets have been frozen all over the place. So yeah, it's it's not like this is new, um, you know. And I think Canada has also sanctioned some of them, but we weren't able to confirm that just before time of recording. But yeah, it's it's you know these are folks where there's enough evidence, a preponderance of evidence already, that people have levied sanctions against them, frozen their their the monetary assets. But what this could mean is that they could be they could face arrest if they they ventured into the into the EU. Um, and it also opens, most importantly, it opens up doors for all of those who are seeking uh, refuge um, asylum. So we're going to jump to our next song. This is Master's Degree by Aiden Shanghai. We'll be back just after this. I'm working pretty heavy for the man on me. I'm breaking on my body just to stay on my feet. Oh, look at that 11, 6 hours to
Welcome back to Cangri, home of Canada's Cree media. My name is Luke Smith. And I'm Sebastian. Now, a new story that's been sort of tickling the ivories over in the UK is the idea of uh, conversion therapy. Now, it's worth noting that this is also a bill that is on the table right now um, in Canada. It is okay. uh, before Parliament in Canada. Um where a Conservative MP recently said that she didn't agree with the bill because a friend of hers um, was talking to, I think it was a child or a family member who had done lesbian activities. Okay. Lesbian activities, and uh, she needed help with um, addressing uh, these lesbian activities. Hey. Um, and everyone in the world has gone, lesbian activities? Who Who refers to... Uh, lesbian activity like that's that's uh, ridiculous i mean my brain is going to like you know uh, uh various lesbian stand-up comics that i can think of and you know jokes about lilith fair and potlucks uh but no i i uh i think i know what she's talking about and i i find that to be very peculiar phrasing <laughs> but i mean okay yeah all right sure okay so, I mean, Twitter went went awry, you know, some people saying that listening to Katie Lang while striding home from work mm. uh, constitutes lesbian activity. Um, I think Tori Amos was reading a book is lesbian activity. Um, going to a coffee shop and musing about cheer and flax seeds, also a lesbian activity. So if okay. you've been guilty of a lesbian activity, they want to make sure that you can be conversion therapied. And, okay. and, uh, and uh, relieved of these convictions. So yeah, it, it's, I say that because we thought that this was a done deal. We honestly thought this was going to be a done deal. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I forgot that there's some folks out there who are concerned that uh, lesbian activities um, uh, need to be solved. Oh, I mean, don't, don't they? <laughs> Well, don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I'm being ridiculous. flippant here, but the, yeah. the issue here is what this bill tries to do in Canada okay. is stop what the World Health Organization and what every reputable medical association in Canada yeah. has said is either just bunk science or at its very worst, torture. And, torture. and it's absolutely ridiculous. The psychological damage that conversion therapy does is is obscene yeah yeah. So you may be struggling with your lesbian activity of listening to katie langworth driving on the highway mm. but conversion therapy is is a magnitude worse it's very psychological impact looking at politics in canada it looks like there is an issue developing enough political strength of will to outright ban it that seems to be very frustrating, but I also am absolutely positive that the Canadian government, at least in its current state, who knows what the future will hold, will hold, but definitely for you know the present and probably the next 10 years, would also never have state-level support endorsing this. Like I think comfortably in Canada, we can say most politicians would treat this as a joke and would probably kindly request this particular minister from BC to get off the stage. Um, 
I would like to see a little bit more push in in banning it, but like as I said, I, I I'm completely comfortable that we're never going to see state, state support, at least not in the near well, future. This Unless weird stuff happens, you know. Conservative MP Tamara Jensen was speaking at a House committee. Mm-hmm. on the third reading of the act to amend the criminal code specifically banning conversion therapy. Right. So assuming that the government doesn't collapse in the next couple of weeks, it's very likely that this bill will pass. Oh, yeah. And uh, by extension, conversion therapy will be banned. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there is a place, and we've spoken about this frequently, there is a place for faith. There is a place for prayer. Yeah, yeah. But there is no place for psychological pressure for for not only know, that, these, but these fake. It, it it seems that faith and prayer is the rec- is part of the recovery process for this. So I actually read uh, last week. We didn't have time to talk about it on air, but I did. I did read a uh, forty page report uh, from I think it was from uh, an institute in Australia showing that the quickest path to recovery from the trauma induced by uh, this, these conversion therapies is faith-based because the only way that faith-based conversion therapy is going to work on you is if you, you are a religious person. If you're a complete atheist, you'll just be there like, this is ridiculous. What are you doing? The, the torture aspect, the, 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 sometimes they use electroshock therapy inappropriately or other forms of therapy, uh, well, therapy between quotation marks here, of course, uh, like denying you food until you agree with them therapy. Um, that is a different issue, but in terms of the psychological torture of being told that God doesn't love you, the counseling in recovery that comes from a faith-based, uh, psychologist. So usually you're probably going to see, you know, Anglican or Unitarian or United or one of the more progressive religions, but still they've actually found that people, um, recover more quickly in that context, because it was that context that, that got them there in the first place. So going completely secular is not gonna fix it. So it is actually really interesting to show like the, the, there is an important place for religion in the hearts and minds of these victims. Yeah, which is, we're, not, we're not banning pastoral care. We're not yeah. banning prayer and preaching. We, the, the aim is not to ban those things. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. viewing homosexuality as fundamentally wrong or as yeah. requiring a fix or requiring being cured through yeah. certain acts and measures um, is, is what is wrong and is what is being banned. Mm-hmm. Well, not well, only that, but being put into a facility like this against your will. That's the primary thing that people are looking to ban. You know, if you're going to show up voluntarily as a cogent adult, that's very different from if you're a minor, if you're forced into it, if you outright say, you know, I do not consent to being put into this facility, then yeah, 100% ban that. That we don't do that with just about anything else. Like, I mean, if you've committed a crime, you go to prison. I think that's one of the exceptions, you know? So, so it's in it's sticking to to my reference uh, earlier at the start of the conversation to the UK, uh, the Northern Ireland has banned conversion therapy. It was quite uh, to in and froing. Um, and uh, Nicola Sturgeon, the head of the SNP in Scotland, has essentially said, if Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, doesn't do it, then they will, uh, giving Johnson a bit of an ultimatum. Johnson, by the way, had earlier told evangelical Christian groups that any conversion therapy will have an exemption 
for churches, which completely defeats the purpose of any kind of ban on conversion therapy, because churches is usually where these things happen. Yeah, so there's not it, many secular ones. Yeah. yeah, there are some camps in particular, but usually, you know, it, it is churches. So yeah, he's been under a massive amount of um, uh, pressure. Uh, several members of the government's LGBT advisory panel in the UK quit after quoting a hostile environment for LGBT people. Um, the Conservative government in Britain is really struggling to, to find a way forward here. And it seems like Scotland's Nicola Sturgeon isn't uh, entertaining the idea for much longer of waiting to see what Boris Johnson does on the matter. So we'll see. It, it is probable that we will see this pass in Canada. The bill is quite well worded to avoid um, folks who are preaching, praying and offering pastoral support um, that will get caught up in this. Um, but at the same time, this is a practice that is abhorrent. It is dangerous. It is um, it is disgraced by, by every medical association out there um, and has no place in Canada. So we'll keep an eye on it and see how it goes. I reckon I reckon it'll have a happy ending, at least in Canada. Although it is frustrating, it's taking this long. You know, Northern Ireland only legalized same-sex marriage. It was in the past three years. I know it was fairly recent. And then they, they beat us to this. Like, it's, uh, it's kind of disappointing that as soon as it came up, the Canadian government was like, Oh yeah, it looks bad. Let's let's stop that. Well, look, let's let's be honest here. I think the DUP introduced it and passed it in quite a short timeline. The the Canadian government has had it. It was introduced a couple of months ago, I think. It was mm. certainly um, relatively, you know, not too too long ago mm -hmm. um, under this most recent minority government. Um, and it's that third reading, so it really is quite close to the end now in terms of of passing. But legislation yeah. takes time and legislation takes more time when you have to devote uh, parliamentary time towards dealing with the pandemic. Oh, yeah. So, and, and that's something that's come up before. You know, people are often critical of various pieces of legislation that have never happened. And it's like, well, there's only so much time in the day and dealing with the pandemic and the legislation that comes with it is yeah. priority. Everyone's yeah. health is top of mind. Well, with that being said, we have run out of time. We'll be playing out with Reset by Mox Rear. I've been Luke Smith. And I've been Sebastian. And thank you for listening.
for him.